me tonight to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. See, preacher, you're going to preach on Christmas again? Well, almost, maybe. I'm not sure. No. We have a... Reminds me of a little story that right after Christmas, the uh, preacher had a nativity scene set up just outside the door of the church there. He thought, well, I'll go ahead and go get it and bring it in. He walked outside and he looked down and baby Jesus was gone. He just happened to look up and his little boy going down the sidewalk with a red wagon, brand new shiny red wagon. Baby Jesus was in the red wagon. So he trotted down there and he said, young man, he said, uh, where'd you get Jesus at? And he was real honest. He said, I got him up there at the church. He said, well, why did you take Jesus? He said, well, before Christmas, he said, I wanted a red wagon so bad. He said, I prayed and asked Jesus to give me a red wagon. And that if he'd give me a red wagon, I'd take him for a ride in it. Amen. <laughs> so he did. All right. Luke chapter 2. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word if you're able to. Luke chapter 2. Begin reading verse 40. And this is speaking of Jesus here. Begin verse 40. It says, And the child grew, speaking of Jesus Christ, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all they that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Look with me back in verse 44 and 45 be our text. It says, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. I started, when I started studying this, I, it was, the intent of it was to be one message. And as it began to go and begin to grow, and as I began to study, I decided I better turn this into a series. So the series is going to be Finding It Again. But the title of the message tonight is Finding What You Left Behind. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight asking that you'd meet with us. Lord, we sure do need the presence of God. We need the hand of God. Lord, you know every heart in this room. You know the need in every life. You know the heartache. You know the joys. You know the, what's going on. Lord, you know what's going to happen tomorrow before it ever happens. So, Lord, tonight I pray that you would prepare and you'd work in people's hearts and lives and prepare us, Lord, even for the, the day tomorrow if you so desire to give it to us. But, Lord, there may be possibly someone here tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know about Him. They may go to church, may even be a member of a church. 
but they've never truly accepted Jesus Christ their Savior. They don't know if they was to die today that they'd go to heaven. Lord, I pray that you draw them and that you work in their hearts. Lord, they might receive Christ their Savior before it's eternally too late. But now, Lord, I pray that every Christian here's heart would be stirred and that, Lord, our minds would be upon you. May the Lord Jesus Christ increase. May I decrease. May you be magnified, Lord, as we speak tonight. Give us the words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. You know, it's so easy to lose things, and it's the things many times that we take for granted that we think we know where they're at, and maybe sometimes that we use a lot, but, and we just think that they're always going to be there. That not only applies to physical things that we have, but that applies to our spiritual lives even. There's some things in our lives that we take for granted many times, and sometimes they're left behind and we don't realize that. We've entered into a new year, and I don't know about you, but I look back over the, the old year and I begin to think about different things that took place in the old year and made some things I need to change in my life in the new year and in and, 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 and the church or whatever it might be. And sometimes one of the things is, is I begin to look back and I begin to think, huh, I left that behind in my life that, this year, this past year. And I realized that, hey, listen, there's something missing and sometimes it's something that we've taken for granted all year long and it's just kind of left over out of the way of our lives and we just think, well, it's going to be there all the time and we've left it behind and we've not allowed that to enter into the new year with us or even through the year. This morning I preached on an unchanging Lord and Savior, but sometimes there's some things that have changed in our lives, our spiritual lives, not for the good because we've left something behind and didn't realize it. Maybe this past year, maybe years ago, there's something that you've left behind spiritually in your life. So I want to look at that at this, and, and as, I, as I said, it, it's actually turned into more of a series now instead of just one message. First of all, they suppose that Jesus was with them on the trip. Look there in verse 44 again, it says, but they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey and sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. Years ago, this is many years ago, my pastor, Brother, Brother Parker, was, they would pick up a man and, and bring him to church, and, and especially on Sunday nights. It was, in the, in the, it was a warm, warm time of year. I don't remember what time of year it was, whether it was spring or summer, but a lot of times we'd stay around like we do here and talk and visit and everything, and we'd stand outside and visit. Well, this man that he would pick up was, a, was an elderly man, and so what he would do is he would have him get in the front seat with him, and then Miss Parker would get in the back seat. He'd take the man home, Miss Parker would get out, get in the front seat, and then they'd go on home. Well, this particular night, uh, the, Brother Parker pulled the, the car up in front of the church um, uh, where the man could walk straight out of the church, get right into the car. Brother Parker's on this side. The man come out, got in the car. Miss Parker come out. She had her hands full of her Bible, her purse, and some other things that she was taking home. She opened the door and put it in on this side. She closed the door and started around the other side. Brother Parker just drove off. And we at first, we had a certain, there's a big long circle drive, kind of a field out front, but it's a big long circle drive down there. And we thought, he's playing with her. He'll come back and get her. He goes down to the end of the circle. He makes the right hand turn, turns out on Canyon Road. We thought, surely he'll recognize that she's not in there in a minute. He went down. You could see all the way down to Highway 34. We set up kind of on a knoll there, a little high spot. We watched the car lights go all the way down to Highway 34. We thought, surely he's going to know that. He's going to turn around and come back. He makes the right hand turn on Highway 34, and he leaves. 
Miss Parker's standing there flabbergasted. And you got to know Miss Parker anyway. And we thought, surely just a minute or two, he's going to come back. So we thought, this is going to be good. We're going to stay around and watch it. He was gone. And he was gone. And he was gone. And he was gone. And we thought, this is really going to be good when he comes back. And finally, we see this car after a long time come back in. We recognize it's his car coming up Canyon Road. We watch him turn in. He comes back up, pulls up in front of the church. And by now, we got everybody outside from the church. And we're watching. And we walk, somebody walks up, opens the door for Miss Parker. What happened? He drove all the way home, took that man all the way home. He got out of the car. And Brother Parker sat there for a moment. He said, well, I'm a gene. Aren't you going to get up front? I'm a gene. I'm a gene. And she wasn't there. <laughs> he took it for granted that she was in the car. And he went on his way. We laugh about that. And I've known of people leaving their kids at church, sleeping on the floor under a pew. I've known of people leaving their kids at Walmart. And having two vehicles there, thinking there was somebody else. And went on home and... And uh, some getting a phone call from somebody saying, hey, listen, I've got your kid. And, and them not even realizing, even after they've been home and unpacked their stuff from Walmart. But you know what? We laugh about that. But something that is real serious is that in our spiritual lives as a Christian, there's things in our lives that we ought to keep good check on. There's some things in our lives that we should never leave behind. There's some things in our, in our lives that, to be sadly saying, we take for granted and we do leave them behind. They supposing him to have been there in the company, but they left him behind. One of the biggest mistakes that we make in our walk with the Lord is that we take for granted the things of God. And supposing that, we, that we're where we should be and everything is all right in our life and everything's in its proper place as a Christian. That is until we take inventory of our spiritual life, begin to look at it, begin to say, hey, wait a minute, what about my life? Where am I at spiritually? I hope that each of you do that, and, and more than just once a year, but I hope that you look at your, at your life as a Christian and say, where am I at spiritually? Because it's so important that we walk with the Lord. Or maybe we find ourselves becoming weak spiritually and struggling in certain areas. And then we realize that there's something missing, that we've left something behind. Or maybe we're stumbling and have no strength to go on and serve the Lord and, and maybe falling out of church or, or falling away from our Bible study or, or not praying like we used to. Or, and on goes the list of things and whatever it might be. And we have to stop and say, hey, wait a minute. What's happening here? You might call it a wake-up call in your life when God has to get your attention to make you realize that, hey, listen, I've left some things behind. There's some things that maybe I shouldn't have taken for granted. We generally have a routine at our house most of the time, and, and that is before we go to bed, of course, we generally have prayer. And, but the other is, is that uh, is the front door lock? Is the back door lock? Is the garage door closed? And we kind of go through that routine, but sometimes we don't go through the routine. We just take it for granted. We suppose that we did lock the doors, that they're still locked, that uh, the garage door is down. And uh, then sometimes we get up the next morning and I get ready to leave and I go and the garage door is open. Mm 
we left it open all night. Or maybe we see that the, the doors are not locked and uh, we just take it for granted. We suppose that it is because that's the way it always has been. That's just what we always do. Can I tell you something that's dangerous in your Christian life? Is to take it for granted that everything, and you're just supposing that you're where you should be in the Lord. That you're just supposing that you're walking with God. That you're just supposing that everything's right in your life. That you're just supposing that everything spiritually is in order and you're trying to get closer to the Lord. Hey, listen, be careful. You need to stop and you need to check and you need to make sure instead of just supposing that. I find that so many Christians... They get to a level many times in their life and they're comfortable there and they, they get complacent and they get to a place where they begin to take things for granted spiritually in their lives. And before long, they've left something behind. Maybe several things they've left behind. The same is true, as I said, in our spiritual lives. This is why that we're admonished by the Lord in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves. He said, examine yourselves. Make sure. Look things over really good. You know, when you go and you go buy something, and I don't know about you, but I go buy something. I went and bought <coughs> something to, to buy something the other day at Walmart, and I looked up there, and, and a box lid, and I reached up and grabbed it, and I thought, and the box lid was open. I thought, nah, I don't think I want that one. So I put it back and get one that was sealed. And, and we examine everything else. We, you know, you go get something worked on, you look at it and you look it over and make sure everything's right on it. And we examine it to make sure everything's okay. Sometimes you, maybe you buy a, a piece of clothing and you look it over. I know uh, there's been times that Janine will, will buy something and, and she'll look it over and I'm thinking, well, she, or she's going to buy it and she looks it over and says, oh, nope, there's a pick right there and there's a little hole or whatever it is. Most of us guys, we just get the thing anyway. It doesn't matter. Put the pick in there. We're in a hole. But we examine those things. Why should we not examine our spiritual lives and make sure that we're not leaving anything behind spiritually in our life and that we're not drifting from the Lord, that we're not growing colder in the Lord, but that we're walking with the Lord? He says there again, let me read it. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. We use that verse, and it's an application, and it's, it's, I think it's a good application, is that we should examine ourselves, first of all, to make sure that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. If you're sitting here tonight, you may be a church member, you may have been baptized, you may, may have your name on a church roll, but my friend, and except that you've been born again, except with your heart that you receive Jesus Christ, your Savior, it doesn't matter. All that other stuff is good things, but it doesn't matter until you know for certain that you've received Jesus Christ with your heart. You can have a head knowledge and miss heaven by about 11 inches the distance from your head to your heart. And there's a lot of people today. In fact, he tells us over... In Matthew, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Do you know what the difference is? About 12 inches. 11, 12 inches, depending on how long your neck is. The distance from here to here. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. Yes, you're to call on the Lord, ask Him to forgive you and come into your heart and life and save you. Yes, you're to believe that He is the Lord and Savior. Yes, you're to believe that He died and rose again, but it's with the heart. It's with the heart. 
with the heart. And sitting in this room, there's absolutely no way, and as many of, of you as I know, there's no way that I can walk up to you and say, I know that you're saved. No, I have to go by what you're saying, that you've put your faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ. You're the only one that really knows what comes from your heart. You're the only one, you and the Lord. So he says, examine yourselves, whether you be of the faith. But if you look at it in context, if you look at that verse and how it was written, who it was written to, and the purpose of it, it's written to the saved. That verse was written to the Corinthians who were in church. They was having squabbles. They was having different things go on. They were saved, but they weren't living for the Lord like they ought to. And Paul's writing them this letter in 2 Corinthians to the saved there. And he says, examine yourselves. To examine yourselves that they are in what? The faith. That they're living for the Lord. He says, examine, make sure that, that you're walking in faith in the Lord, that you're trusting Him, that you're following after Him, that you've not left anything behind in your, in your spiritual life, that you're, that you're continually drawing nigh to Him, that you haven't left behind those things of, of obedience and following after the things of God. He says, examine yourself. That's what that verse is in, in interpretation where it's at in the Scripture. We also find 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Paul writes here, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Most of us know where that comes from. That's the Lord's Supper, taking communion. The scripture and it talks about there is that before you take of the Lord's Supper, you're to examine yourselves before you take of the, that cup, which is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not the literal blood of Christ. It's grape juice, which is from the vine that represents the blood of Christ. That bread is the representation of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And he says, before you take that, he said, you examine yourself and make sure that there's no sin in your life, that there's no unconfessed thing in your life that is not made right with the Lord. He says, examine yourselves. Otherwise, what he's saying, make sure you haven't left anything undone. Make sure you haven't left anything behind. Make sure that you, that you know, not, you're just not supposing that everything's okay in your life. You're not just taking the Lord's Supper and saying, well, you know, I don't know. Everything's probably okay. I feel pretty good about myself. And, and you know, I got a few problems, but no big deal. And just supposing that everything's okay. He says, no, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure. He says, make sure that everything is in its proper place. And then we go on over. He said, you ought to take inventory of your lives. Take inventory of it daily. David takes another approach in the Psalms. In the Psalms, David says in Psalms 26 and verse 2, he says, examine me. He didn't say, I will examine me. He says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins. And my heart. He said, Preacher, watch the reins. Of that type of writing, it is the will of man. And he says, Try me. Make sure. Examine me. Because I might be, here's what he's saying I might overlook something in my life. Lord, would you examine me? 
to make sure that I'm where I should be, that I've left nothing undone, that I've left nothing behind, that I'm following you in the faith, that I'm following you with everything within my life. He says, he says Lord, would you check me out? Reveal anything in my life that shouldn't be there and, and reveal to, to me that which uh, uh, that I've left behind in this walk with you, Lord. Show me. So there's that examination that we ought to ask the Lord. Lord, would you show me? You see, a lot of times we want to color things and think that we're all right. That's why many times that each of us should go to the Lord on a very regular basis and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that should not be there? Is there anything in my life, Lord, that's been left undone? Is there anything in my life that I've left behind in serving you on? And allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you and direct you and speak to your heart and, and deal with you concerning those areas of your life. Many times, you know, we want to just kind of blow by the thing. But it'd be like this. If you were working on a job and you could look at how you're doing a job and you could look around over here at this person working over here and say, man, I'm doing a lot better job than they are. You look over here and say, I'm doing just as good a job as they are. And you could be satisfied right where you're at. But then here comes the boss. Are you willing to ask him, am I doing everything all right? Am I doing my job right? Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything I need to do differently? Is there any way that I can do a better job? We don't want to do that, do we? But that's the way it ought to be with us and the Lord. Lord, is there anything that I can do differently to be more pleasing to you? Lord, what is it that you want me to change in my life? Lord, what is it that you want me to to uh, get right with you. So David's asking him, as we seek the Lord to examine us, he'll reveal that which is needed in our lives. As I said, in, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, he says, He hath showed the old man what is good. Otherwise, he will show you what the right way is. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Otherwise, what is needed in your life? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. But I want you to notice here in Luke 2 and verse 44, an important part of these verses. Look at verse 44 with me again. But they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey, and they, and I want you to look this, you can even underline it, whatever you want to do. And they sought him. They sought him. They sought him. Among their kinfolks and acquaintances. Verse 45, and when they found him not, notice what it says, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. You'll never know what's missing until you look. You know what? It's pretty easy just to go to church, sing the songs, maybe say a good hearty amen once in a while, visit everybody, put a smile on your face. Maybe read some scripture through the week, pray, do it again the next Wednesday, do it again next Sunday. Before long, you get in a routine. 
without seeking what God wants in your life. Without that, they, they sought him. You'll never know what's missing until you look, and you'll never find what's missing until you go back where you left it. How many times have you went to get something and you couldn't find it? And then you get to thinking, where did I use that last? Where's the last place I seen that? Where's the, what was the last thing I did with that? I mean, maybe it's a tool or something or, or whatever it might be. What was the last thing I worked on with that, with that wrench? Or what was the last thing I used those pliers for? What was it? And then you think, you know what? I was working down in the basement on this or that. So you go back down to the basement. You walk over. Maybe you was working on the furnace or whatever. Let's just say the furnace. You go back there to where the furnace was the last time. Do you remember seeing it? And possibly there lays that pair of pliers. But you'll never find them until you, first of all, seek for them. And number two, go back where they were. It's the same way in your life and my life spiritually. We'll never know that we're missing something until we look. You're sitting here tonight and you're feeling pretty good. You had a good day and you, you went home, you ate some lunch and you maybe got you a little nap or whatever or just enjoyed the sunshine, the snow melted off, made you feel pretty good and you're just sitting there. But can I tell you something? And you come back to church, sit that way, but you'll never know what you're missing in your life until you look. And once you find that you're missing something, you'll never find it until you go back to where you left it. It may be, and I'm going to deal in the next several messages with several things that is easy to leave behind. We're going to deal with one tonight, but there's several of them that I want to deal with. That's the reason I had to turn this thing into a, a series. And there's some things that we leave behind in our spiritual lives because we don't seek and look to see if we're missing them and then we don't go back. Let's look at some things, as I said, that are missing. You may just be supposing that they're there. You know, as a Christian, especially if you've been saved for many years, it's easy to hide it. It's easy to go on just out of routine. It's easy just to plow on through and never really realize what's missing until you hit a snag. So I want to look at one tonight. Some may have left behind your joy somewhere last year or maybe farther back. Your joy. Oh, preacher, that, that's really not that important. Let me tell you something about joy. I challenge you to get on a computer if you got one, a good Bible program, and look up joy in the Bible or get you a Strong's Concordance and begin to look it up. You'll find that the Lord speaks about joy in the Christian life over and 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 over again. It's so important to him because joy cannot come from this world. You can get happiness from the happenings in this world, but true joy is something that the world can't take away from you, even in difficult times, the joy of the Lord. And joy is what the Lord wants us to have. Hey, listen, true joy is a highlight. And it's a defining characteristic of the victorious Christian life. Do you want know I see Christians today? That they're saved. 
They go to church. They may read their Bibles. They may pray. But there is no joy in the Lord in their lives. They're just kind of like a robot. They're just plowing through the Christian life and just doing what they know that they're supposed to do. They're not enjoying it. They've lost their amen. They've lost their shout. They've lost their glory to God. They've lost their hallelujah. They've lost their joy. And they no longer enjoy the things of God like they used to. They don't even realize it. They just think that the Christian life has become old and boring. Several years ago, well, yeah, it's been a long time ago, when I was in high school, we came out of a, a, a church that was supporting the cooperative program. It's a Southern Baptist church. We, we left the Southern Baptist church there and start Victory Baptist Temple. The reason was is because they were supporting the cooperative program in the Southern Baptist Convention was supporting the seminaries that they had, and their seminary professors were teaching that there was no really such thing as the virgin birth or the blood atonement. I mean, they had it. Louisiana was one of them. And so we tried to get them to cut them off, and they wouldn't do it. So... Uh, in the church that we was at, we wanted to quit sending the, the money to, the, to that, that group, and they said, no, we're still going to support it. And so there's about 45 of us left and started Victory Baptist Temple. And it's so important to understand that, hey, listen, to do things right and to serve the Lord. But as a teenager, I was a teenager in, in high school, and... The high school we started, the, we, we built this church, I talk about up on the hill and kind of a, a knoll there. And you could see the new high school across a, a long field and the highway. And then in that other field was the high school. And you could stand in the foyer of the high school and you could look across and you could see us building this new uh, uh, church building up there. And I tell you what, and there's a, there was several young people that was in the, in, in that group and was going to high school with me and, and they was uh, a lot of adults and man, there were some exciting things going on. The church was growing. It took off and began to, to just explode and we, people were getting saved and lives were being changed and, and man, I tell you what, it was on fire for God. And the principal, I was standing there talking to somebody and he come by and he heard me talking about the church and stuff, and he went to the, uh, I believe he went to the Methodist church. He professed to be a Christian. And this is what he told a high school student who was excited about living for God, excited about the, what was happening in the church. Oh, it'll settle down one of these days. He said, it'll all just settle down and be like any other church. He said the newness will wear off. Instead of encouraging me to keep on serving the Lord and keep on going for the Lord. I mean, he never seen me in his office. I wasn't out stealing hubcaps. I wasn't giving the teachers problems. He didn't have to worry about me smoking on the campus. He didn't have to worry about me doing things in the school. But that's what he told me. All oh, it'll all Settle down. You're just excited right now. That's what he told me. And I looked at him and said, I hope not. Can I tell you what the joy of the Lord does? It stirs your heart for God. Maybe sitting here tonight, there's some that you've left your joy behind somewhere.
You're not as excited about the things of God as you used to be. You're not as excited about living for the Lord as you used to be. You just kind of endure it. You just go on because you know it's the right thing to do. I mean, there's, your, your motivation is, uh, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. Instead of, man, I'm enjoying the Lord. I'm enjoying the things of God. I'm enjoying getting around God's people. Man, it's a joy. Boy, God is good. And you've left your joy somewhere. You've laid it down. And you've walked off. And you're just going through the motions like everybody else. You know what? Satan wants to steal your joy. Because when people look at your life and they see that there's a real joy in your heart about serving God and living for the Lord, that's different. Especially in a day and time like today when there's so many problems. When they can see you go through difficult times and there's a still a joy for the Lord and the things of God in your heart and life, they begin to look at you and say, man, they got something they ain't got. There's something different about them. They're facing the same problems I'm facing, but it seems like they're on top. Seems like there's a, you know what it is? It's the joy of the Lord. David, King David lost his joy of the Lord when he had sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, had her husband Uriah the Hittite basically murdered. And he had to go back to that place and get it right before he could have that joy restored by the Lord. I'm going to read some different things from Psalms 51. If you want to flip there, you can. But in Psalm 51, we find the account when David gets his heart right with the Lord. When he turns back to the Lord, Psalms 51, begin verse 1, says, that This is a prayer of David. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He didn't call it a mistake. He said, My transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, otherwise something that's awful. Cleanse me from my sin. He's calling it what it is. For I acknowledge my transgressions, He's made a confession of the Lord, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David is going back to what truly happened. He's going back to, he realizes that there's something missing in his life. He realizes that there's something that's not right in his life. He realizes that the hand of God's not in his life. He's still in there trying to serve God. He's in there still trying to be the right type of king. But he realizes something is missing, that he's left something behind. And so he goes to the Lord. He acknowledges, he looks at his life and he says, this is what's done it. Nathan the prophet came to him and he talked about his sin. And he pointed his finger in his face and he said, thou art the man that's committed this sin. So here's David praying and getting it right with the Lord. Then David asked the Lord to restore that joy that only the Lord can give. This is how important the joy is. David said he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't talking about everything else. He was interested in God restoring that joy. Look at what he says in verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And look what he says in verse 12. Restore. Something's missing. Something's left. Something's gone. Something's been left behind. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You see, when something comes between us and our walk with the Lord, one of the very first things it's going to do is affect your joy. 
you're going to be miserable. The joy is going to depart. David was miserable. His joy of the Lord, the joy of the salvation of God had, had departed from him. He had left it behind because of his sin. You see, you can get so busy and leave the Lord out, you can leave your joy behind. You can get your eyes and in, in, in mind on everything else instead of the Lord, and, and he becomes second in your life, and you're going to leave your joy behind. You can, you can uh, get to a place in your life where, where everything else is more important and you're going to leave your joy of the Lord behind. David left it behind. He's going back now. He says, I want that joy back. He sought, just like they went to seek after Jesus to find out where he was at. They looked, they couldn't find him. So they turned around and they went back. Here's David going all the way back to his very sin that he had laid down his joy at, and that was that, that sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And so he's making it right here, and he's asking the Lord to restore that, to bring back that joy into his life. David's sin and disobedience robbed him of the joy in the Lord, which greatly affected his whole life. I'm going to tell you something tonight. I don't think you realize, and I don't think I realize how important the joy of the things of God and the joy of the Lord is in our lives. You see, we've got Christians today, they're so humdrum. So, deadline, it's like, my name's Rodney Haggett. I go to Calvary Baptist Church. I'd sure like to have you come to church with me and everything. I mean, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but I mean, you know, we're just trying to serve God and we sing a few songs. Got a bald-headed preacher. You don't have any hair on his head, but, you know, that's just part of it. And yeah, you come if you want. And no joy. Oh, man, you come and say, man, praise the Lord. Hey, good to see you, man. I tell you what, we, God is working in hearts and lives, and God's changing. Man, God's working in my heart. I, I just want you to come and see what God's doing. Would you come and, and, and experience what the Lord wants to do in your heart and life? Man, it's good. God's good all the time. It may not even be that type of deal. It may be that you're at work and you're just enjoying God. And, and man, you got a song in your heart and you're whistling. And, and, uh, and everybody else is like, what is he so happy about? <laughs> man, it's tax time. It's the first of month. The first of month bills are here. Did you hear him over there? And it's the joy of the Lord. that you can't quench, that you can't hold back if that joy is there. And that's why I see so many Christians in churches today got that long, sad look on their face, look like they're throwing their lip over the, over the pew in front of them, looks like they could drink buttermilk out of, a, out of a churn. Hey, I'm telling you what, it's so sad. There ought to be some joy in the hearts of Christians when they realize what they have in the Lord and seeing God work in their hearts and lives and in the lives of those around them. David's sin and obedience robbed him of that joy. Notice what David left behind when he left behind his joy. Look at verse 13 of Psalms 51. He said, then will I teach... Now, this is after he gets his joy back. This is after he goes and reclaims it. This is after he goes back. This is after he gets his heart right. He gets the joy of the Lord back in his life. He gets the joy of his salvation back. Then he says, this is what I'm going to do. These are things that he lost 
that he's now going to do once he's got it back. So look at it this way. This is what he lost. He said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, and thou, my, uh, and thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou de- desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks unto thine altar. Let me break it down this way. Look at verse 13. He's saying this. How could I be a witness to others without a joy in my heart and with sin in my life? How can I be a witness to other people if I don't have the joy of the Lord in my life? How can you and I be a witness if we don't have the joy of the Lord in our lives? Look at verse 14. He says, without the joy of the, there's, without the, joy of the Lord, he, he had no real song for the Lord. I don't know about you, but boy, I like it when I wake up in the morning. There's already a song of, of praise unto the Lord in my heart and life. And that song, it stays with me through the day. He said, how can I sing a song of praise to the Lord when there's no joy there? How can I sing a song uh, and, and magnify the Lord uh, and lift him up with joy when there's no joy? Because I've left it behind. Look at verse 15. His praise and his worship of the Lord was missing because his joy was missing. He really didn't have anything that was truly, he could say the words, oh, praise the Lord, and God's been good to me. That sound familiar from your life? We can say the words, God's been good to me, praise the Lord. But is that praise coming from a heart that's full of joy or just from right here? Remember, it's with the heart we're saved. It's the same way praise and worship comes from the heart, not just this gray matter up here. So David, his worship and his praise was was hindered because he didn't have that joy. Look at verse 16 and 17. Pride had taken the place of his joy, and he couldn't please the Lord with all the things that he would do. The sacrifices, they were still making sacrifices in the temple. They were still doing all those, those, those works and all that stuff. But it wasn't pleasing unto the Lord because he'd left his joy behind because of sin. How about your joy tonight? Notice what the Lord says. Well, first, let me back up here. The joy of the Lord is, is that vital part of the Christian life. When left it behind, the world will not see anything that it desires in our spiritual lives. You see, the world looks at your life and my life, and basically we are exactly the same except for the joy of the Lord. That is the defining difference that people see. I'm not saying that's the defining difference that's in our lives. I'm saying that's the defining difference that this world sees is the joy of the Lord. And when they don't see that, In our spiritual lives, we become just another group of people following some rules. Do you know why people are not interested in going to a lot of churches? Because there's no joy of the Lord there. And all they think of is just a book of rules, a a bunch of do's and don'ts. And they don't realize it's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about that joy. It's about God... 
walking with him and knowing him. All those rules and all that, that comes. That's just, that's just window dressing in one way. That all comes when we have the joy of the Lord and we seek that relationship with him. You see, the joy of the Lord is the relationship as a Christian. It's like this. I can enjoy being around Levi or I can endure it. I, 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 I'm, I'm not really trying to be funny, but that's true, isn't it? Isn't it true? How many of you, and be honest here, how many of you have been around people that all you was doing was just enduring it? You're not being honest with me. Raise that hand. There's been those times. Well, if I got to go to their house for this little meal, this family reunion, whatever, I'll just endure that. And then there's those times that, man, you just can't hardly wait to get to some place. Man, you're looking forward to it. And there's a real joy about going there. You know what's sad? A lot of Christians, because they're missing their joy, they've left it behind. They're just enduring just because they know that's what they're supposed to do. Oh, got to go to the mother-in-law's house again. I'm going to endure it. Or it can be like, man, I get to go to my mother-in-law's house. Man, she can put on the feed, buddy. And I enjoy being around. The relationship with the Lord. That's the joy that he's talking about. And the Lord talks about the joy so much. Let me just go through some verses real fast. Here, I've got to hurry. In Matthew 25, verse 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. And notice what he says, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Because you've been faithful. Enter into the joy. In John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That joy sharing it with the, uh, the Savior. John 17, 13, Jesus said, now, now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Fulfilling that joy in your life. Romans 5, 11 says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Because you're saved, there ought to be joy. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meant, not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. James 1.2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Mm, even in difficult times, he said there's joy in the Lord. 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, now listen to this, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Joy that's unspeakable should be in the Christian life. The Lord, if you take it, I mean, there was hundreds of verses that dealt with joy. Not all of them was dealing with the way we're dealing with it here, but, but the joy. Joy evidently is very important in the Christian life, but have you left it behind? The joy of the Lord is so important, yet we often leave it behind supposing it's there. Our lives and our actions should show forth joy of the Lord in our lives. You see, many Christians are merely enduring, as I said, with no real joy like they once had. That's why he says examine yourself. Can I ask you tonight? How's your joy in the Lord and the things of God? Oh, it's good, preacher. Now, did you just say that or did you look? That's our problem. We know the response, but we don't look. You see, we know how to put the joy bells on the outside. But the real joy comes from within. It comes from the Lord from the heart. Look and see. Verse 44 again, Luke 2 says, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. Look tonight. Ask yourself, is my joy there like it used to be? It's no doubt a little embarrassing for them to begin those, going to those who was their kinfolks and saying, Have you seen Jesus? Can you imagine? You mean you don't know where your son is? No. Have you seen Jesus? No. Don't you know where he's at? No. Have you seen Jesus? No. Don't you know where your son's at? No. It's like the Christian. Sometimes the preacher preaches something. God speaks to your heart and, and wants you to come forward and do business at an altar. And you're too embarrassed to do it. They weren't embarrassed. They went ahead and asked because he was so important. And they didn't mind saying, we're going back. We're going to find him. We're going to find him. You know, they could have been prideful and said, no, he's not here. Well, let's just go on home. Maybe he'll show up later. Can I tell you something tonight, Christian? You can say, well, I'll just go on home. I'm not going to deal with it tonight. Maybe that joy will show up later. It's not going to. You got to deal with it. You got to look. And you got to go back. They took action. They didn't just continue on the same old direction without him. Verse 45, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. That's why we use an altar. We turn back. We find out where we left it. And we get it back. Let's bow. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the mercies of God. Sometimes we leave some things behind. Lord, we just dealt with the, the joy tonight. There's several other things you want us to deal with. But Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, there would be a serious looking in our own hearts about our joy. A joy in the Lord. A joy of our salvation. The joy of so great and mighty things that you've prepared for us. Lord, help us not to just endure and push through. But help us to seek. Help us to turn around and go back to get it where we left it. That was repentance in David's case.
That was acknowledgement that he had left it. That was a desire to please you again. Have your will and way, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.